0: Hello, my name is Jocelyn Frank, and welcome to this podcast by the International Monetary Fund. Historically, countries which are rich in mineral and commodity resources, like oil, wheat, copper, or coffee, for example, have had lower rates of growth compared to nations which don't enjoy those advantages. It's a phenomenon dubbed the natural resource curse. The reasons for the curse range from market volatility to crowding out of manufacturing, a lack of institutional structures, to all-out civil war. Jeffrey Frankel is an economist with the National Bureau of Economic Research. He recently gave a seminar at the International Monetary Fund and outlined several tools which he believes can help mitigate the natural resource curse. One tool he's developed is something he calls commodity bonds. They've not yet been adopted.
1: Well, one of the striking things about commodity bonds is that they basically don't exist, and uh, they should. After figuring out the, what the problem is, uh, uh, I uh, try to think about policies and institutions that will help countries to avoid the pitfalls. A country that has uh, natural resource wealth, and one of the problems is, is the volatility. That if the price goes up, and especially if you're booming, and so you uh, you know you're borrowing on world markets to develop, let's say, your oil fields, you need to invest and 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 borrow for the exploration. In the past, most international debt has been denominated or issued in foreign currency, in dollars or euros or whatever. And uh, that's had problems. But, but denominating in the local currency isn't necessarily the answer either. So the proposal is that if you're borrowing uh, anyway, that instead of linking the uh, terms of the loan to dollars or to any other currency, you link it to the price of the commodity, let's say to oil. If the price of oil goes up or the price goes down, you're automatically hedged because you have the export proceeds that match up. Uh, the export proceeds go up when the, your uh, uh, debt service obligations go up and they go down when they go down, and it happens automatically. You don't have to go through some painful you know, restructuring a default or negotiation with your creditors or whatever. It's a very efficient mechanism of risk sharing. This idea has been around for a while. Uh,
0: Why hasn't it been used before?
1: It's a bit of a mystery. I mean, you, you need liquidity in a market. It may be a chicken and egg thing that everybody's waiting for someone else to go first. And when I ask finance ministers from these countries or or ask Wall Street types, uh, that's uh, sort of the answer I get. And, and I keep in mind that there's a very natural customer for these bonds. Unlike a lot of financial engineering you know these complicated credit default swaps or whatever there's a very obvious uh, customer if it's if you're an oil producer, you want to be hedged against the possibility that the price of oil might fall. But on the other side of the market, there are uh, power utilities in, you know, in, the, in the industrialized countries and airlines, and they want to be hedged against the, the chance that the price of oil might go up. Or if it's iron ore, then it's steel companies. Uh, or if it's copper, then it's uh, electronics companies. And so there's a very natural customer, and, and it's a mystery to me kind of why. But I think that maybe the international financial institutions, the World Bank and the IMF, could play a useful role getting this market uh, started up.
0: So another way you've suggested that nations can battle the resource curse is to reduce pro-cyclicality of macroeconomic policy. That's a mouthful. Can you explain what you mean by that?
1: Pro-cyclicality is this uh, discouraging tendency that has been there very strongly in the past for developing countries in general, but especially for commodity producers. Pro-cyclicality means when there's a boom, you're growing rapidly. The price of your export commodities is high on world markets. You're, you know, you're producing a lot of it. You're exporting a lot. So when there's a boom, the government borrows a lot. Capital floods comes into the country. The government spends a lot. Monetary fiscal policy is easy. And so the whole economy is, actually goes into the bubble phase. And then when the price goes back down, of the commodity on world markets, or maybe you run out of the commodity. Then everything crashes, and you, you would be going into recession anyway, but then the recession is much worse than it needs to be because uh, the government is forced to cut back on spending because it can no longer borrow. And so you get this roller coaster ride where the highs and the lows are more extreme than they need to be. That's what pro-psychicality is. And so I've made proposals to try to uh, reduce that.
0: So saving during the good times in order to have a cushion for the bad... It sounds easier said than done. How have political leaders been held accountable to stick to those principles? Uh, I believe that Chile's done a particularly good job at that.
1: Chile, as you mentioned, is kind of the, uh, the poster child because during the period when copper prices were booming, they, uh, they saved most of it and uh, paid down their debt and, in fact, achieved a credit rating that's better, not just better than their Latin American neighbors, but better than some European countries. And when the recession hit, they were able to spend more, and they also got hit by an earthquake. And, and uh, I would argue that it's not just that the, these particular leaders happened to do a good job, but Chile has uh, adopted institutions. And Going back to the year 2000, Chile adopted some fiscal policy institutions that could kind of work in any country. The rules are that in a boom, you can spend the money only if the boom is is permanent, what's called structural, if, if copper prices are higher permanently. If it's purely transitory and it's going to go back down, then you need to s- save it. Um, so what Chile uh, has done, which is different, uh, which they actually codified in law in 2006, is that the judgment as to what what's uh, permanent versus temporary is not made inside the government. It's made by an independent panel of uh, experts who are kind of insulated from the political process.
0: Given the complexity of the economic resources available to different countries and the individual political agendas of different leaders, how hopeful are you that different nations will actually move towards a more successful effort against natural resource curse? How many people are paying attention to the situation in Chile and saying, hmm, maybe we should try that?
1: Well, I mean, the, the toughest uh, 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 variety of a natural resource curse is a case where you have extensive corruption and, and uh, the, the, uh, the boom money ends up in, in the elite's pockets or you know they build the roads to their private palaces or it ends up in Swiss bank accounts or whatever. But uh, you know, ha- having said that, one of the things I find most encouraging is that some of the countries that have new discoveries, uh, like the West African countries that have discovered oil or for whom uh, mining has become newly profitable, or Mongolia, which is, you know, in this tremendous boom. Many of these countries, you hear the uh, leaders say, we know uh, this is not the first time this has happened. We know there's lots of other countries who've been this be- through this before. And we know that there's been this pattern of euphoria followed by a crash when everything is lost. And we we know there's a thing called the natural resource curse and we want to try to avoid it. By now we're you know exchange of information is good enough that government officials are asking for suggestions on how to try to limit it or avoid it. So that I find very encouraging.
0: And so what is the role of larger institutions like the International Monetary Fund to boost this sense of financial security, economic security?
1: Technical advice is one area where uh, the IMF can uh, can help if uh, the IMF or World Bank is already lending to a West African country uh, anyway, um, you could uh, denominate that loan, link that loan in to the price, world price of the commodity, and then uh, turn around and lay off the, the commodity risk by selling the bonds to whoever wants to buy, uh, power utilities and airlines and, 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 and steel companies ought to have an interest in going long in in, in oil or iron and, and, and so on. Uh, but they're probably not interested in, in taking the credit risk of, invest, of lending to a West African country. That's just not their, their business. Um, but that's where the IMF and the World Bank come in to do the matchmaking and to make it work and to hopefully create a market a pool uh, that's deep enough and liquid enough that companies, borrowers, lenders can all gain confidence uh, that, that that market will be there and, and make the market work.
0: That was economist Jeffrey Frankel, who recently gave a seminar at the International Monetary Fund about ways to mitigate the natural resource curse. To hear more interviews about the natural resource curse and other economic issues, go to www.imf.org podcasts.